Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 6, The Good, the Bad, and the Foolish. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can easily find Episode 1 of Season 1 at 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out the number. Otherwise, brace yourself for a conversation with God's voice telling His side of your story. As we mentioned in Season 5, up until and for some time now, we've pretty much been building a crescendo to the climax of our covenant with David, a covenant that lays out the roadmap for the next phase of the Abra plan. As the Abra plan pivots on David, the arc with the sea of our journey with humanity adjusts with it, and the owner's manual shifts into a new book at this point, we leave the book of Samuel and enter the book of Kings. Yes, we know Samuel talked about kings as well, but this book will be about different kings. Untold years have passed since David bought the Jebusite neighbor's threshing floor at the end of Samuel, or the end of last season's last episode. The book of Kings opens with King David old, cold, and impotent. This, once again, is a single book in its original version, split in two by the Greek translators for easier carriage of all their vowels. At this point, David's eldest surviving son is Adonijah, Amnon having been killed by Absalom, Absalom having been killed by Joab, and Chileab not having survived long enough to make it into the narrative. Adonijah assumes it's his turn now, since that's how all the surrounding nations do it, and he invites a whole lot of folks to his coronation party. Adonijah, however, inquires neither of me nor of David before brashly proclaiming himself king. You already know this doesn't work out for him, since you've very likely never heard of Adonijah either. Had he taken the trouble to run his plans by me or David for that matter, Adonijah would have learned that another is purposed for succession to the throne the one whose name you do know. This inquiry would have spared Adonijah a great deal of embarrassment as well as his life, eventually. It truly pains us that this was the fate of the prince, Adonijah, whose name means Yahweh is Lord. Solomon, you'll recall, is the son of David with Bathsheba. He is not the offspring of their illicit rendezvous. That young fellow came to be with us only a few days into his young life. No, Solomon is that baby's younger brother. So there is definitely some royal intrigue at the outset of kings as to which of David's sons is to be placed on the throne. Feel free to read the details of Adonijah's failed attempt in the owner's manual if you like. First Kings 1 most important in this whole episode is that we have set David's heart on Solomon with good yet unexpected reason. You can read about that in chapter 1, verses 28 to 31 of Kings. You see, one would expect that any offspring of David with Bathsheba would be banned from the throne of Israel in view of the adulterous, murderous outset of his parents' coupling. However, 
I am making Solomon my fresh start poster child. David has repented of his sin, or rather of his assortment of deceitful and deadly sins. I have forgiven David of all of it. He's had the consequences to his sin, to be sure, but they are past as well. In order to make clear that when we extend forgiveness, that pardon is complete in every way, this first son lawfully conceived within the covenant of marriage between the forgiven David and Bathsheba is the son we now choose to place on the throne immediately after his pivotal father. Let us not miss a secondary lesson herein. While this sequence is not meant to serve as a template for your modern-day instances of remarriage, one can and should note that the severing of Bathsheba's bond with Uriah was done in a far worse manner than having simply been divorced. In extending forgiveness, I have left that entire swirl of grave sin in the past, as I bless the fruit of Bathsheba's remarriage with the crown of Israel. Bathsheba and David get a fresh start, too. We're going to look more closely at Solomon in a quick moment, but before then, let us drive home this personal point of what he represents. If Solomon is anything, he is the quintessential symbol of moving on and of not letting the past mistakes of the prior generations rule the present or the future. Yes, he's going to make some mistakes of his own in time. But the fact that a son of this marriage is exalted to the point of being a household name heralds the promise of a fresh start for you, my friend. If he gets to start over after all the generational drama that's gone before him, you do too. Now, it's been a while since we mentioned the book of Chronicles, but it's been tracking along with Samuel with not enough difference to mention much in the intervening years up to David's procurement of the Jebusite threshing floor. That was back in 2 Samuel 24, 18-25. It's Chronicles that sets the threshing floor as the site for my temple, the house for my name that David's been wanting to build for me ever since he took his first whiff of Phoenician cedar in his own new Jerusalem living room. It's at this point in the parallel narratives, the threshing floor moment, where Chronicles overshadows Samuel and Kings for a while. Stay with me now. Whereas untold years pass between the end of Samuel and the start of Kings, Chronicles fills in the gap and tells us what David's up to all that time. As we've already seen at the outset of Kings, that writer is so keyed in on the human drama, he skips over years so he can get straight to the juicy stuff, telling us what's happening with regards to Adonijah and Solomon through a hyper-human relational lens. If you only look at the king's account, it looks like Solomon gets put on the throne solely through the schemes of his mama with a little help from the prophet Nathan. However, and this is a big however, Chronicles intervenes at this exact point in the narrative and supplies a much larger perspective. And in that larger perspective, Adonijah figures so little in the final equation that his name isn't even mentioned. In Chronicles, just as in Samuel, David's prideful census of Israel has brought a plague down upon the people, 
and he averts that plague by presenting sacrifices to me on the threshing floor of that neighbor Jebusite right at the border of Jerusalem, effectively stopping the plague in its tracks and preventing its entry into the capital city. You may need to listen to the final episode of last season to refresh your memory. So you'll recall that in the process of doing so, the king purchases the Jebusites' land and livestock, so that David is sacrificing his own possessions, not someone else's. A lively detail that Samuel fails to include, but Chronicles does, though, is that once David has the threshing floor altar built and the sacrifice laid upon it, he's not the one to light the fire that'll send it all over to me. He calls upon me, and I answer him with fire from heaven, and I light the thing myself. Uh, that's First Chronicles 21:26. And you thought Steven Spielberg came up with that all on his own, when in fact he got his best ideas straight out of the owner's manual. It is at that moment, when I answer David's prayer with fire from my side of the veil between us, that David decides he and we have found the perfect spot for our house, our very, very, very fine house. And so the chronicler runs with that theme for some time, detailing David's preparations for the building of my house. While the first part of his life has been building up to our covenant with David, his later years are a build-up to the building of my temple. He knows he doesn't get to put it all together, but by golly he is determined to get all the pieces stockpiled in nicely sorted stacks of various materials so that all his successor has to do is put on his overalls and assemble the parts. It kicks off straight away in First Chronicles 22, right after David's experience on the threshing floor. The king assembles a workforce and begins gathering raw materials such as iron, Gonna need a whole lot of nails for this project. Bronze, forests of that cedar that got this whole ball rolling. If you read the account there, the fact that Solomon is to be David's successor is a foregone conclusion when Solomon is still young. That's 22.5 Chronicles. David is too excited about the project to let his son have all the fun, and I've not told my aging friend that I don't want him to do anything concerning my house, just that he can't be the one to build it. So David acts as a kind of a sous-chef that preps and chops all the ingredients and has them waiting in bowls for the master chef to assemble into a breathtaking entree. Only on a much larger, momentously more significant level. The building of my house is not just something I'm letting David and his family do for me, uh, much more about this in a bit. It is something I have gone ahead and incorporated into our covenant with David. You know, all those promises about someone from his direct line being on Israel's throne forever? Well, included in those promises was that the one after him would get to build this house. It's become more than a wouldn't-it-be-nice activity and grown into something of covenantal proportions that is to be indelibly woven into the fabric of our relationship with humanity. This has shades of what we've done with the monarchy in general, remember? It was humanity's idea and desire to have a human king. 
For some time I told them they didn't need one, but then I assented to their desires and let them have a king. However, I didn't just give in to the annoying repeated requests of children who, because everyone else had one, persisted in asking for something, a king. I gave them a king and incorporated the human monarchy of Israel into my Abra plan that shall save all humanity. And so now, and similarly, this house for me, that hatched out of David's guilt at feeling he was better domiciled than his creator, is going to be the center of Israel's life with Yahweh in short order, and will be a key symbol of my presence among my people. I have placed its building in our covenant with David to make clear how high the stakes are for this construction project and for the heir I have chosen to see it through. Thus, David pulls Solomon aside as soon as the preparation project starts and lays everything out for him, his desire to build this for me, my saying he can't because of all the blood he's shed, but his son can do it, the need for Solomon to keep my laws, and so on. We're sticking in First Chronicles for a while now. That's chapter 22, starting in verse 7. So important is it to David for Solomon to hear these things that the king will repeat it all in public assembly a few chapters later, so that Solomon not only hears it twice, but has witnesses that can help him remember it all. Having gotten the assemblage of raw building materials well underway, David then turns his attention to human resources. The activity level in and surrounding my house will be extensive as it moves from the fringes of Israel's life to its heart. Those that have been charged with the care of my roving tabernacle over the years, the Levites, are shifted by David to permanent responsibilities in the house of Yahweh. You'll recall that among the Levites, also known as the descendants of Levi, who was one of the twelve sons of Jacob, also known as Israel, among the Levites are a strain of bloodline that commences with Aaron. Aaron's direct descendants serve as priests. They're the ones that get to do the actual sacrifices before me. But there is so much to that and other aspects of running and serving my house that the rest of Levi's descendants are assigned temple duties too. Knowing me, you know there's going to be a lot of detail surrounding the building of my house, so we'll just pause the narrative there and continue next time on the way. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the very first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.